want to tell you about one of our partners, Quetzal Education Consulting. Quetzal Education Consulting is a queer, black, and indigenous women-owned firm offering anti-racist consulting, PD, coaching, keynotes, workshops, and more. Their newly released Abolitionist Teaching Workshop series coaches and prepares teachers to further develop abolitionist practices in the classroom. Find out why they have been called The Future of Educational Justice by Dr. Bettina Love. You can book a free consultation with Quetzal by calling 510-397-8011 or visiting quetzalec.com. That is Q-U-E-T-Z-A-L-E-C.com. And if you mention you heard about them through Two Dope Teachers, you will receive a 5% discount on their Abolitionist Teaching PD series. Once again, you can book them by visiting quetzalec.com on their Connect With Us page. Everybody, turn off your mic. Turn on your mic. Uh, put it in the chat real quick. How you doing? <laughs> okay, people are okay. Not that. Hey, yo, that's great. Sorry, I've been I've been uh, facilitating things. And, You're in the uh, mode. I'm in the it's mode. Zoom oh. educator mode. It's some edge. Oh man, I'd be something. Doesn't it bug you though? Hold on. At this point, if someone's not a good Zoom educator. Do you not get like really annoyed with it? With Super with annoyed. Super. Like, I'm like, come on. You know how to no, share your screen like, at this point. No cap. Like that is the truest <laughs> thing in the world. Like, like you will see people, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you clearly didn't have to do this with four people in the room and 34 people <laughs> online. You clearly didn't get observations on this app. Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you even like, doing? We have a we have a colleague. Shout out Connor. Um, uh, that, that dude was just, he was a virtual teaching, like, superstar. Like, he just leaned into all of it. He had a Bitmoji classroom. That's he right. He wore silly hats. He rapped for his children. Like, it's just, uh, that's He was great. So what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Um, you are back with Two Dope Teachers and a mic. My name is Gerardo Munoz. I'm Kevin Adams. And we are coming at you, um, here in this, uh, in these dog days of July in yes. the city of Denver. Um, we are, we're just really excited to bring you this next episode of the Summer Revolution mixtape, episode three, 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 three. Three. Um, three. You can't see me, but I'm making three signs up here. <laughs> um, maybe we should go on YouTube. I don't know. That's it. They, they, maybe maybe that who knows what the future holds. I think who knows. That's oh god, don't say that. Um, <laughs> so I've been yo, I've been watching um The Man Who Fell to Earth with Chiwetel Edu for. Have you watched that? I haven't, but I, I know it. I haven't watched it. It's I've seen wicked good, like a couple seconds of it, but I, I have to check it out. Yeah, it's really good. And so, like, as I as I reflect on that show, which haunts me every time I finish an episode, like <laughs> this is one of those that you should not do two episodes in a row. Um, I like that. It gets disturbing. It starts to make you think too much. It starts to like be like, <laughs> hold up. Does art truly imitate life? <laughs> Those it? are good ones. Those are good ones. Does it? The ones but, that make you question everything. Oh <laughs> man, no, it's wild. Or just see everything like really clearly. Like, and this is not a spoiler, but there's that there's this line where he is the Martian says, your religion is skin. And just goes into this thing. I'm like, whoa whoa our religion is skin so and you know so it's been really interesting trying to finish the the season before the showtime uh free preview expires <laughs> oh yes yes make sure because i'm Get trying to do that like i don't want my streaming services to cost more than cable like that's combined. right it's kind of that's ridiculous. right that's um yeah so we're out here we got some good stuff going on i've been uh watching nuggets summer league bro i love summer yes league. yes very exciting very excited about ishmael kamagate very excited about I mean, Christian Brown, that dude can play. There we go. Turns there we out. go. There Turns we go. And continuing to play soccer and get injured. I got kicked in the head by our colleague Diego yesterday. That nice. Cool. Um, Very good. I, little knot on my head. That's that's cool. Uh, 
But yeah, we're here. Uh, Kev, real quick, tell them about the mixtape. What is the Revolution Summer 2022 mixtape? It's, it's what a mixtape is. It's a chance to get a, a, a mix of flavors, mm. uh, some new stuff that you, you Sampling, haven't heard. Sample from a lot of places. Check out some new people from around the way, some educators, some not, but hopefully it's all hidden with you um, as you go through it. I kind of feel like our Summer Revolution mixtape um, is kind of a blending of past and present. So like in the past, like rappers would be di- discovered through mixtapes. So yes, like, so Lupe Fiasco, shout out, just dropped a new album, which is dope. Uh, Lupe Fiasco popped up on a bootleg of uh, Kanye's Jesus Walks where he did Muhammad's Walk. That's right. Muhammad Walks. That's right. I ain't one to use the profit for profit, like just beautiful stuff. But then you also have people like J. Cole, who will appear on mixtapes. And so I feel like we have a, a lot of that. We have up, up and comers that you haven't heard about, but you should, but we also have some greats. Um, we hope you enjoyed the last two mixtape episodes we dropped. Uh, track one is, is one of those like legends who dropped in. Elena Aguilar of Bright Morning kicked off the mixtape. Track two, a couple more goats, Sean Sheehan and uh, National Teacher of the Year, Rodney Robinson. A little bit of a crossover. A little bit of a crossover, that's right. And so we're about to bring you track three, um, who is our good friend, Lee. Yo, what is good, everyone? (laughs) Kevin? Hey, hey, here we are. We are back. We are back. We are two dope teachers and a mic. I am Gerardo Munoz. And I am Kevin Adams. He is Kevin Adams. I'm Gerardo Munoz. And we are coming at you with Revolution Summer Mixtape Track 3. Three. 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 So the, so the first track, uh, as you probably have already listened, is the incredible Elena Aguilar. Track 2 was with Rodney Robinson and Sean Sheehan. And now we have the man, the myth, the legend, Lee Perez, the 2022 Nebraska Teacher of the Year. What up, Lee? What is up, man? Thanks for having me, man. I've been so excited to get on this podcast. I've been telling Autumn Rivera, I can't wait to get on Too Dope. So yeah, we there we go. You know, for for state and tribal reasons, we had to have Autumn on first. You know, she, she's from our state. Oh, so that's her. Yeah, that's right. I mean, somehow, but Autumn's great because somehow she was able to squeeze two appearances out of our podcast. Like, how did? Anyway, that's that's how that's how you get to be a Some people are skilled. One for Colorado Teacher of the Year and one for being finalist for National Teacher of the Year, right? Right. That's that's, right. I'm, right. I'm sure that's, I mean, right. that's, that's you right. know, well deserved, that, by the way. Well deserved. Yeah. That's how you get to be a finalist is by making a dollar out of 15 cent. Am I right? Um, so we're gonna we're gonna head right into it. Um, you know, the um the, the summer revolution mixtape, Kev. Uh, you wanna tell the people real quick about what a mixtape is and why we do it. Well, in the hip hop tradition. Mixtape is the opportunity to experiment, to uh, to to do some different stuff, to have different features, you know, to test out where where you're headed, where your ideas, and so you know we we have this mixtape to do just that, to expand the minds of the folks out there and just hip you to a lot of different folks, and, and we thought it was really important to get Lee on to talk about. What is the state of education in Nebraska? Yes, and there is a lot going on in Nebraska. <laughs> yeah, always, always. We were, it, it's, it's funny because um, when you were named, like, I, like I'm, I'm friends with Paul Tim, the 2021, and yes. Paul is like the sweetest person alive. He's very Nebraska. Like, like oh, if, yeah. Oh, yeah. if Nebraska was a really nice guy, it would be Paul. Um, and <laughs> so, like, I was like, I was like, there's Latinos in Nebraska. What? And so this has been a real like exist. exist. Yeah, that's right, man. That's right. Um, so te- so tell us a little bit first. Let's let's get a little bit of background on you. What uh, what brought you into education? Why did you? Um, what is it that in your life path kind of led you to being a teacher? Like you already said that you didn't like to go to school. <laughs> yeah. So no, that's a good question, and that's a lot of what I do with like my advocacy and when I go around and speak and do my keynotes. Uh, so I've given 40 speeches as Nebraska teacher of the year already. And I've got a few more lined up. I kind of took a break when my daughter was born, but I, yeah, I was an at-risk youth, man. Like I grew up, I hated school. 
Uh, I definitely fell in with a very unproductive crowd that was doing things they probably shouldn't be doing. Uh, you know, I've been arrested. I spent some time in jail, you know, nothing like prison, just like county jail for a couple of days, but, yeah. you know, didn't like to go to school, just saw no value in education, but I always had some really good teachers that just kind of stuck with me and didn't really give up on me, you know, because at that time, you know, anybody could have just wrote me off as, oh, you know, look at Lee, he lives in the small town, he's getting into all this, this, this nonsense, and they could have just, you know, said, hey, he's a loser, let's just don't waste your time, but I always had a hand group, a handful of teachers that just did not give up on me, and even to this day, I still kind of keep in touch with a lot of those teachers, so... That's kind of the, one of the reasons why I went into education is because I saw the impact that it had on my life, because literally, I mean, these teachers in a way kind of saved my life. They really did, because had I not had them in my life, you know, doing the advocacy they did outside the classroom for me, I don't know where I would be today, truthfully. So I just want yeah. to shout out to Coach Moore, Mr. Cisneros. Mr. Cisneros was one of my only Latinx teachers at North Fly High School. He was wow. my teachers back when they call it civics instead of social studies. But yeah, just <laughs> really, really, not just good teachers, just good human beings, just good all around souls that really cared about children and wanted to see what was best for the children in their classrooms and beyond. So that's dope. I Kevin, love that. Kevin, do you still care about children? <laughs> I mean, that that's why that's why you're in the game. That's why you're in the game. <laughs> Lee, I got a question. As you think back, and I think this is always a question because the longer I stay in education, the more I wonder what, what is education? What's the point of all of it? Yeah, for sure. But like when you think back to those teachers, what do you remember more? Do you remember like content skills that you learned from those teachers? Or do you remember oh, the relationship? No, that's the crazy thing. And that's one of the things that when I go and I speak, you know, I always tell people when I go and I speak, I'm not speaking, I'm speaking knowledge and yep. wisdom. You know what yep. I'm saying? Like trying to like preach what, I experienced and what I take into my teaching philosophy in my classroom. I don't remember any of the content really. I just remembered how they treated me as a human yep. being. Those human connections. I mean, I don't ever remember seeing like Coach Moore, who was my high school math teacher, basketball coach, say, Oh, coach, I remember on Tuesday, December, whatever, you know, 1990, whatever, that lesson you had on <laughs> equations was off the charts, man. You were doing this, you were doing this pedagogy. No, nah, no one remembers that. They're, and I always tell education majors and student teachers who are my primary audience, it you need to have a student first mentality and then a curriculum second. Yep. Because a lot of times when we go into the field, we are curriculum focused and we oftentimes push the student um, rapport and relationships to the back seat, and it should be the other way around. And if I could definitely go back, hindsight being 2020, it took me until year five to figure out it needs to be the other way around to do a really effective job in the classroom. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it's just, I don't re really remember a lot of lessons they taught me. I just remember how they made me feel, feel. as a person. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. you didn't go to school? No, I'm, I'm playing, I'm playing. That's it. Um, <laughs> when I did go to school, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I think like I think there's so much truth to that. And like you, I think I discovered that um, not immediately, although I went through an alternative license program, just like Kev. Um, and so I just assumed that I didn't know how to teach. So I, you know, I tried to leverage relationships as early sure. as I could, but I'll tell you there, there was definitely, and you know, this is why we're all different, right? This is why you can't approach children of color, um, with a broad brush and with any kind of, you know, general approach. We, we all need to be treated as individuals. Um, if you could teach me something, then I, I would respect you. And I think that was the kind of kid that I was. Um, yeah. and I had a mouth on me. Like if, if something was boring and I didn't want to do it, like I would tell you it was boring. And I don't want to do this. Like it's a waste of my time. And, um, and so, but I remember Miss Griggs taught me how to write a newspaper article. Yeah. Like, and I still, I still can't watch mainstream journalism because I took Miss Griggs's class. I'm like, this is trash. Like this isn't good, but, um, <laughs> so want to, um, want to jump to, um, a, kind of a big moment in your life. 2022 Nebraska Teacher of the Year. Um, so you're about halfway through your your year of service, um, which yes. is wild. It flies by. Y'all already went to DC too. Yes, we did. It was that was so much. That was incredible. Yeah, it was, we, it was great. To, it was just great to finally meet you know Autumn and Willie and Leah and Dominique and you know Kurt, Joe, yeah. Whitney. Just I mean. I can, the, the names, I mean, my cohort, kind of like your cohort, it was just, it was awesome because, you know, our initial orientation in New Orleans was moved 
uh, fully remote due to COVID because that was back in February. Because you, if you remember COVID-19 this last year, I mean, I mean, January and February, start of 2022, it kind of blew up those two months. So I totally understood why they do that. We were all super bummed. So when we all got to DC, it was, it was awesome. It yeah, was- we didn't, we didn't get Google. That, that was what we didn't get. Um, but yeah, and, and for us, we found out like maybe two or three weeks before Washington week that we were actually, there was a go. Um, so it was a trip. But so what's, what's your experience been as a Nebraska Teacher of the Year is being able to network across, um, across the country with these great educators everywhere? And what are some of the things, just a couple of like things you've learned in, in this uh, first half of your, of your year? Right. Well, it's been an honor and a privilege. Uh, I have a great cohort. But one of the things that I've learned is that the struggles that I'm seeing in my state, it's happening in all the states and all the territories. Like it's happening everywhere. So it was kind of refreshing. And I know this sounds kind of like odd, but it was kind of refreshing to get together and talk about a lot of the struggles. I mean, we talked about the successes, but a lot of the struggles that we had in our respective states, jurisdictions, and territories. And it just made me realize that, hey, I am not alone in this fight because the 2022 cohort is very diverse. A lot of us have the same mission and objective moving forward with our platforms as toys, specifically with, you know, advocating for marginalized communities, wanting more teachers of color, et cetera, you know, wanting a diverse curriculum to, you know, educate the next generation of diverse student populations. So you know, as much as it was refreshing to get together and exchange and get ideas from this amazing group of educators, it was also nice to kind of talk about a lot of the struggles that we're facing, but more importantly, what we can do to fix those struggles and those problems that we're having. You know, like, let me name a couple, you know, like teacher shortage, um, lack of um, educators of color in the field, and number three, salary. You know, it's something that and I know those more, but those are kind of some of the main ones that were hit upon during Washington. I mean, I'll just put it this way. Washington week was a roller coaster of emotion. It was awesome. And then it was sad. And then it was awesome. And then it was sad. And then it was just like, <laughs> it was just a lot of emotions, you know, and it was, it was a mix of, it was a mix of everything, you know, but it was, it was something. And the, I ga- and the gala was long and there was no dancing. <laughs> yes. The, the no uh, dancing my, part. My, my wife, we met at the club and she's kind of like, what? Like, we're not going to dance. We're just going to sit. Anyway, no shade, CCSSO. We love you. Yeah. Just add some dancing. So a lot of what Kevin, a lot of what Kevin's been working on uh, this year probably relates to what you're doing. Um, That, you know, Kev is on our, is on our union bargaining team and, you know, doing the God's work, bro. That is wild. Kev, what are your kind of like, you know, thoughts or like that, um, what Lee just said? I mean, those are like, those are the, like, when you start to think about it, what we talk about is how do you retain teachers? How do we keep teachers? Uh, what are we doing for teachers of color, BIPOC teacher educators, Absolutely. black and brown educators, and then, and, and the pay, you know? And so Lee, how long, how long have you, I know you mentioned five years in when you had the realization, which I think that's about the number. If you get to five years and you get those realizations about like, what is the work? But how long uh, have you been teaching? Uh, Fifteen years. So Fifteen next, years. Yep. 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 Okay. So I can. I mean, we got I like know. almost sixty years between us on this yes. show. It's just beautiful, which is a beautiful yeah. thing. But so when you start to think about like as you go around the country and you talk about uh, teacher shortage, uh, we talk about pay. Like when we talk about recruitment and retaining BIPOC educators, what are some of your thoughts about like? Or, or things that you've heard that people are doing creative ways to accomplish these goals? And what are your thoughts about uh, how do we do this type of stuff? Well, one of the things that we've discussed is creating like literally mentorship programs where literally teachers of color mentor teachers of color. Like basically you are paired up with somebody that, um, you know, can mentor you and kind of take you through how things were. Because, you know, looking back, you know, during my first couple of years, I mean, teaching those first couple of years is tough, but it would have been nice to have a mentor to kind of guide me through that process. And thing that I always want to say is, you know, recruiting the teachers is the easy part. Keeping them retained and in the system is the challenge. And that is the challenge that districts are facing. You know, it's like you can get them in the system. The question is, 
how are you going to keep them in the system? And, you know, one of the ways you can do that are mentorship programs. Another way you can do that is you need to pay teachers a livable wage because a lot of the teachers that when I got down there and we were talking, a lot of what was talked about was, oh man, financially, you know, every state and jurisdiction and territory does things differently with toy. But, you know, I will say that a lot of what went down in DC, a lot of people said, man, you know, this financially, I, I wish I made more money. Yep. And, you know, you look at, you know, rates of education and experience. And when you look at what we're being compensated, it's not even, especially right now with the cost of living and inflation. I mean, it's just not enough to sustain, you know, a, a way of life. You know what yep. I mean? It's just not. And it's just, yeah, I, you know, I talk to people all the time where they say, well, in this field, as a diploma or an associates of arts degree, yep. and they're making six figures. And I'm not saying those people should make six yep. figures. I'm all about paying people a livable wage because, you know, livable wages is one of the things that can uplift people out of poverty, specifically marginalized yeah. communities and people of color. But if someone is going to make six figures that has a high school degree and an associate's degree, me with a bachelor's and then I'm halfway done with my master's, I should be, and all of us should be compensated accordingly. You know well, what I mean? Well, to say nothing yeah. of the impact, right? Like, I mean, uh, you know, what, what is it that we value? And it's not to say that we don't value other. And like, that, I mean, I think that's the biggest myth is that there isn't enough to go around. There, there is enough to go around. And, oh, there absolutely Yeah. yeah. I mean, for, <laughs> for me, I like gassed up my car and Kevin's seen my car, my little Biggie Smalls. Um, I, I, I gassed up Biggie Smalls the other day and that ish was $75. You're playing bro. SUV prices. You know, my car is the same way. Like, I, I got similar. $75. Bro, a little small sport utility car. You know, it. it's ridiculous. Yeah. So, I mean, when, I guess when we talk about teacher pay, what, what are some things that you have sort of seen both on the positive that are kind of like, no, this is a good formula for improving teacher compensation but also on the other end like what are some of the mindsets that you've come across that are just kind of like how can you think this way about teachers well i mean some of the mindsets i've seen is sometimes i will see you know school districts and higher ups you know plural with an s what they'll do is they'll try to gaslight you and they'll try to kind of use the students kind of like as leverage against you and say, well, you know, remember your why, or, you know, this is not why you went into it. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? I still need to make a living. You know, I That's still right. I remember my why I need a how. It's like, yeah. It's like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like if, if, a you know, if, if, if a cookie paid my rent, give me a glass of milk. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's right. But it doesn't, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, no, I mean, cookies without milk is kind of pointless to your point. Yeah, Absolutely. And and it's like, I, I, I will say this, I've seen districts some of funds to maybe give like retention bonuses or maybe like, uh, pay student teachers and things like that. And that's great. And I, I applaud that. However, you know, you have to look at the larger issue and the larger issue is, you know, when you look at the cost of living right now, specifically with inflation just being out of control, what we're being paid and that is all of us. And that's not just in Nebraska. That's all over the country. Yeah. What we're being paid does not sustain a livable wage. And I almost want to yeah. say these school districts, like literally go to the professors <laughs> of economics in your respective areas. I mean, literally, these guys literally sit in their offices and crunch numbers. And because a lot of times when you negotiate contracts, those contracts are two or three years. And sometimes yep. those contracts yep. are behind yes. with economically how living goes moving forward. I almost that's want to say- right. Get with these economists, get with these political scientists that literally crunch these numbers and do this data and say, okay, in the next couple of years, based on political voting, who could be, you know, what, you know, political party could hold this office and where economics could go, you know, where cost of living could go and things like that. Try to figure these things out and be proactive instead of being reactive and waiting and saying, oh, well, geez, we didn't say that coming. Well, yeah, actually, I've seen, you know, economists, you know, talk on, you know, talk shows and go on news media and say, yeah, we did predict this coming. And all of a sudden we get to this point and it's like, wow, now things are really out of control. And it's, it's sad because I've taught, you know, you know, as state teacher of the year, you know, you are the representative and the spokesperson for all public schools and all schools and all teachers and all students in the state. You know, it's a big hat to wear, but a lot of the times people will come to me and they say, you know, 
I have to work two or three jobs to sustain the living. And that yep. just is completely disheartening yeah. to me. And I'm going to be honest with you. I, there are times I've actually got online and looked at part-time jobs. Yep. I have. And yep. it's sad. And that's kind of the, you know, because everybody's like, oh, Lee, you know, you're state teacher of the year. You know, your life must be great. You know, you're living it up. <laughs> yeah, it's great. But I, I honestly, I have looked at part-time work because I don't make enough money. Yeah, and like real emotionally real. and spiritually, it's it's really it's really affirming and it can be really healing, like to be in this role. But, you know, that's, I mean, you got a new baby. I, I think I saw some diapers in the background, man. I saw yeah. them diapers. Like, right there, what, yeah. what it, no, what that, it, that, shoot. Yeah. You, you found the diapers at least. Yeah. But there was a diaper shortage for oh, a man. Minute, man. No, that's real. It's kept that was, that's real. Fortunate. Oh. We, have, we have teenagers. They do not wear oh. diapers. Fortunately, this is a good thing. Um, no. Yeah. And that's, and that's really interesting. And you started to kind of, um, indicate that yeah man there's like that sometimes i feel like i have to look outside of my profession in order to make ends meet for my little family um a good friend of ours uh and kev i i haven't cleared this with him so i'm not going to use his name but a, a good friend of ours once kind of complained that the teacher of the year program consistently pulls great teachers out of the classroom and uh where they where where he argues where we're needed most so when you look at this attrition issue that we've talked about, when you look at the issues of teacher compensation, and we haven't even talked about the basic respect for teaching yep. kids that we yep. teach and teaching or time, time, time to teach, to do the to work, teach, respect even, for us to do the work. Yeah. And you don't know if somebody's going to um, come up and accuse you of being, being a critical race theorist. Oh, by the way, everyone, I am a critical race theorist. I'm just yeah. going to throw it out there. Put it out there. I, I do it. I teach it to the kids. They that's don't right. know that it's called critical race theory um, because that's not like, anyway, I'm going to get you in trouble, Lee. Um, <laughs> so good trouble, good trouble. Good so trouble. Um, no, I mean, so, so you just don't know all of these things sure. that are coming. Um, and then you also get this exposure to a larger context <laughs> of, of teaching where you see the system, you see more parts of the system um, have you and others considered leaving the classroom under all these conditions, under everything that's kind of happening? Yes, I have. And I have looked at it. And, and that's the thing. Uh, one of the advices, uh, one of the pieces of advice I was given to state teachers of the years, don't get too comfortable in your role, because as soon as you get this prestigious honor, you're going to have job offers flying from you from other states, other districts, uh, nonprofits, educational institutions, you know, Department of Education, things like that. Yep. And just talking to other people in my cohort, they're saying, you know, I'm taking this position, I'm doing this. <clears throat> and one of the re one of the things that they say is it's more money, you know, it's like 10, 15, $20,000 more than I'm making now. So do I want to leave the classroom? No, but yeah. if, if I'm offered a job, say in a nonprofit that is education related, where my voice and my advocacy and my passion you know, I'm still in education. I'm just not in the role I want to be. Right. But say a $20,000 pay raise, which some of them are. Yeah, I absolutely take it because again, I have to make a living and I have a daughter now. And it's like, right. it's just, I, I don't want to do that, but it's almost like, I feel like I'm going to have to make that decision soon. And I hope that I don't have to do that. I hope that a lot of school districts around Nebraska and around the country start to come to this great epiphany and say, oh, well, we're going to have to start paying these teachers or we're not going to, you know, I mean, literally we're seeing the, in my opinion, we're seeing the collapse of public school education. And it is incredibly just disheartening and sad to see that. And it's just, it's just, it's horrible. And like I said, I love teaching with all my heart and soul, but loving teaching does not pay my bills. That's right. And that's the thing. And it's like, I almost want to tell school districts and higher ups, again, plural with an S, you can love children with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and you can educate them and you can provide the best experience in the classroom possible. And you can still make a livable wage. Those ideas are not exclusive. They're very much inclusive. Like if, if a teacher is asking for better compensation, that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't love children. And for some reason we've got it twisted. Oh, well, you're, you, you, all you want is money. You, you don't care about the children. You don't care. No, that's, that's a bunch of BS. No, no, <laughs> absolutely. Because like I said, people got to live. Yeah, no, it, 
I mean, as it turns out, in capitalism, money is useful. <laughs> like, exactly. It absolutely is. Yeah. Exactly. It exactly. absolutely is. And exactly. I, and Lee, I can totally relate. You know, I, like I said, I'm on the bargaining team in our district, and 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 these are the the comments. You know, and I don't know. I'd like to hope at times that the the district isn't making these intentionally. Right. But 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 partly it's like you you keep saying things like one of our core values is students first. Right. And right. so that's often weaponized against us to, to say that, well, you know, if if you if you're asking for more planning time or you're asking for more teachers in the classroom and that takes away from this, which is students first. But and, and then what we see them using resources for are things that don't always best meet the students need like there's a big push and i'm sure i wonder in nebraska are you seeing the same thing is a big push this summer for summer school line learning accelerated learning programs camps things like this and i've noticed like in our school community it's not being used by a lot of kids like it's it's almost like the district didn't talk to the to the community about like what are you looking for with these resources, you know? And so like at times, and I think if you had gone to the community and said, well, do you think the teacher should get more right. with this money? Right. I have a feeling I know what the community, because like you said, it, it, being a student, being a family of a, of a student or of having a child in school, yeah. it's about the experience. It's about Absolutely. how are you, be, and that's what the parents come back and they tell us. Man, I don't know how you do it. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. We love what you do. I don't know how you do it every day, but you do it. With my child. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so like they're on our side and they try to, and I think at times, you know, it feels like the way that, and, and I'm talking about my school district, the way they've talked to us is that they don't always respect and understand our role and we are important and that you can only get so much from us before we break down. And, and I'm thankful that you, you know, shared this idea that you, you know, teacher of the year have thought about leaving the classroom. And I know Gerardo, we've talked about it, the same thing. And I think all teachers on a day-to-day -day basis are like, I could be compensated so much better with all of the skills and the things that you can do, your advocacy. That's, that's beyond what you do on a day-to-day -day basis in the classroom. Yeah. On top of that. And that's the thing. I don't want to leave the classroom, but again, you know, just teacher of the year has opened up a plethora of opportunities for me. If someone comes knocking on my door and says, you know, Lee, we'll offer you this role within this educational organization and we're going to start you off at this amount of money and it's more money than I'm making now. I mean, I'm, I mean, I, I would probably take it because I, I have a family to feed, you know what I'm saying? And it's just, Again, it's not something that I want to do because I love my role as a teacher. I absolutely couldn't see myself doing anything else. But, you know, like I said, I, I got, you know, I got bills to pay. And that's just, that's just the reality of it, man. And that's just, yeah. that's just full transparency right there. Like, and that's just, that's just the way of the world. And, you know, it's just, I'm glad that when I talked to my other cohort of state teachers of the year, I wasn't the only one. I wasn't the only one that was facing, you know, these types of decisions that are based solely on economics and, you know, capitalism, you know, because yeah. capitalism doesn't take a day off. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. And uh, I think that, well, first of all, I'll say that at my age, I don't have bills anymore. I have Williams. Like they, <laughs> they're grown. They got to use it. They're grown. They, they're grown. They are, they're a mouthful. And then, and, and then I think, um, I think the other thing is because there's another layer to this that I've experienced since since my year ended, and that's that um, when you go into non-educational spaces and you know apply for work or just kind of talk about potentially working there, there's such a there's such a disrespect of what teachers do and the skills that we have that Kevin was just kind of explaining, and um, and so that it's it's like this vicious cycle where. We don't get paid much. And so we equate importance with compensation. So we don't get compensated. And then people know that we don't get paid much. And so that causes them to see us less as professionals, which then leads to us continuing to be paid uh, far beneath what we, 
you know, what we need. And, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to complain as much, you know, we went on strike a few years, a couple years ago, 2019. And um, as a veteran teacher, I saw a pretty significant pay increase as a result of the strike, but it didn't, it didn't trickle down to everybody. And I think that's real. Right. Um, so Ed, have you, to you a point that Lee made that that contract is, is old now and, yeah. and cost of living has changed, but I want to switch. I want to switch gears because Lee, uh, your, your experience as an educator, I think is a really important one in terms of the work that you've done <laughs> and focused on. Um, you're an ESL teacher, right? Correct, yes. English as a second language am, teacher. Yeah. Um, we call so those MLLs. In MLLs, multi-language <laughs> learners, right? The evolution. In, in the world of ESL, there's so many acronyms with that. It's insane. It's it's what? Yes. Yeah. And, and so, and, and I think I have developed a, a deep appreciation for ESL teachers, considering the population that we have in our school and the needs of our MLLs or ESLs. Um, and so how, how have you, and, and um, how do you recommend, and I think it's important for us educators to really think about this. How do you recommend that we support those MLLs and ESLs and our BIPOC students um, Dealing with you know the systematic issues that are prevalent in the in our modern school system. Well, one of the so that's one of the and that's a that's an excellent question, Kevin. And one of the reasons I ran for Nebraska Teacher of the Year is because when I was researching Teacher of the Year in my state, I was looking at a few things. I, I looked at well, and as I was looking at a few things, I noticed I came to two conclusions. One, there were no teachers of color really yep. in the history of Nebraska teacher of the year. That's the first thing that stuck out about me. Number two, I noticed that there was no ESL teacher that had ever, you know, received the honor of Nebraska teacher of the year. So I remember my wife, Brianna, who's an amazing soul. She's been my, my, my rock, my world. I love her to death. And she is just an absolutely amazing woman. And she has pushed me so hard to be, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for her. She's always say, you know, I was always so involved in everything and, She'd always say, you know, would you ever run for Nebraska teacher of the year? I'm like, oh man, I got time for that. Cause you yeah. know, you know, you look at the application for that I mean, you got, it's a lot of work. So, yeah. But I remember thinking in my head, like, I remember I looked at it and I said, if I do this, something told me I would win. Something mm-hmm. told me I'd win. I put all that work and I put out of that heart and soul. Cause I said, if not, if, when I get this, when I get this, I'm going to take this and I'm going to do something that no other teachers in Nebraska has done. And I'm going to go talk about issues that no other teacher has talked about. Yep. But when I go and I talk about English language learners or multilingual learners, yep. dual language, a lot of the experience I have in my career, you know, a lot of people are taken aback because a lot of people have this misconception about how second language acquisition works. And yep. one of the one of the most disheartening things I hear is you know, the polarization and the politicization of linguistic education in this country. Yes. I understand that this is a predominantly English speaking country, but here are some tough facts that people are going to hear. And I'm going to, like I said, you know, I'm going to spit the truth, you know, just like in my speeches, I'm going to give that knowledge. Number one, there is no official language in this country. That's right. For a reason, going back to the beginning of the country. And and if there was, it was going to be German. That's right. (laughs) That's the thing. And that's the second point I make. Even the founders after the American Revolution, when they were having this debate, the, the debate of linguistics came up, specifically the English language. And they decided, they decided that there should be no official language in this country for two reasons. One, that many of the people that spilled blood to make this nation independent from England during the American Revolution were multilinguals. And number two, a lot of the documents that were translated in the early days of this country were translated in foreign languages, specifically French and German. And That's many right. of our founders were multilinguals. You know, John Adams was multilingual. Yeah. Thomas Jefferson was multilingual. The American diplomat, Benjamin Franklin was multilingual. Mm-hmm. I would tell people, one of the few who was monolingual was George Washington. And even he decided that monolingualism was not the way forward with this country. So it's a privilege to be able to go and educate specifically student teachers and education majors that, hey, this is how language works. And one of the exercises that I do when I go speak is sometimes sometimes with, you know, human beings, we have to experience things and we have to experience 
an amount of uncomfortability sometimes to understand yep. how something works. You know, it's that notion of, oh, I have to experience it to truly care. And so what I do is I, I ask for a volunteer to come up and I basically say, I want you to read these next two slides that I'm going to put up. And they're like, okay, cool. And I put them up in languages that my ELL speak, you know, like Spanish, Russian, Arabic, yep. you know, Konkubal or some other language like that. And then they can't read it. And so then I start to act like, you know, an intolerant educator. Yep. And I say, why aren't you doing what I asked you to do? Why aren't you reading this? I love you know, that. They start to get all sweaty, you know, they turn red, you know, they start to get all panicky. And I, and so then I say, okay, now you know what it's like to be a language learner. That's now right. you know what it's like when the kids come in and they sit down and they're, but, but the one thing I always want to stress is they can't read that yet. And yet is important. And then I, yep. I lay out language facts like, hey, it takes seven to 10 years to learn language. There is a language theory by a guy named Krashen. He's a linguistic yep. that says that anybody can learn language. And people are just blown away by that. Yeah. They're just blown away because what, what I'm talking about is something not every toy in Nebraska has talked about. And yeah, I, I don't, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, but I'm trying to teach them perspective. And I yeah. say, if you travel to a different country, let's say you go to Japan. And you're sitting down because a lot of times one of the big myths is, oh, well, English language learners are incapable of learning. And I say, no, that's bogus. I say, let's use that logic against you. Let's say you go to Japan and you sit in a classroom in Japan and the teacher hands you something in Japanese and you can't read it. Well, by that logic, does that mean that you're incapable of learning? No, it means you're not capable of learning that yet because yeah. language takes time. Yeah. And I remember one time I was giving a speech at a university and um, a young lady came up to me. And she was from Cuba and she was kind of telling me like, Hey, I, I came from a classroom where teachers were telling me this is an English only classroom. You keep that Spanish out of this classroom. And she goes, I really wish I would have had somebody like you educating me because I let my kids speak and write in their language. I do it all yeah. the time, but nothing wrong with that. There, the research shows that your first language can support an acquisition of a second language. And I, I could tell she was getting emotional and I just gave her a hug and I just apologized. And I said, you know, it is my mission to educate the next future of teachers on how this works, because it's not a question of if you're going to have English language learners in your classroom, it's how many, and just like any other child, they deserve a right to an equal and equitable education, just like everybody else. So and that's the, the fact. We, we know that. Thank you. And that, that's, um, man, I'm all caught up now. Um, <laughs> love it. um yeah, I didn't mean to get on my soapbox. My zoom. I saw good. That, that's all this is. It's a, it's a soapbox. That's exactly what it is. We keep the soap in this box. Um, I, um, I wonder given, given the political climate of where we're at, have you gotten pushback, um, for some of the things that you've said, like, you know, some of the things you're advocating for the spaces that you're advocating in? Yeah. I mean, literally, I mean, I'm advocating for kids of color, for kids that come over as immigrants, migrants, and refugees and kids that speak languages other than English. I mean, look at the we live in. We live in a country where a lot of people believe that English should be the only language spoken. So yeah, I mean, I've gotten pushback. But the thing is, is I ain't stopping because if what I'm doing is wrong, and stop won't stop. No, because if <laughs> what I'm doing is wrong, then I'm committing felonies. You know what I'm saying? I want to be right. <laughs> that's right. Educating the children is wrong, and I don't want to be. Yo, man, that's great. Um, all right. That's my coming to America right there. <laughs> there we go. Um, shout out to America. Coming to America is problematic, the original one. Uh, anyway, so let's um uh so now now it's about to get serious, Big Lee. Um, yes, all of you know, all of that to get to the, the most important question. This is huge. This is huge. I don't know if you I don't know if you're ready. Like people will come at you on this. All right. So, so hold on before we ask this, because I, I just feel like Gerardo, I use a reference to reference this question and Gerardo's like, I've never heard of it. So I'm going to ask <laughs> you a question, Lee. Have you ever heard of James Lipton? No, it's not that I haven't heard of James Lipton. I just don't get the connection. But the questions, like, he's got questions. Kevin, I don't have to get it. I don't okay. have to get it. All right. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Honestly, no, I've never heard of James. Ah, Lipton. see? Oh, oh, okay. All right. There we go. For real, man. I no, I haven't. Inside it's, the actor's studio. I just remember like when he asks questions, sometimes he's like, so why? <laughs> Why, why act? I remember he asked Tommy Lee Jones, why act? What, what is Lee acting? Jones goes, Tommy Lee Jones goes, 
It's easy and it's good money. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you like when someone has a real simple question. You like, or I, you think you have a deep question, and they have, they're like, yeah, I do it for the money. <laughs> so there we go. Okay, we're all we're, right. I'm gonna go on YouTube and find um, some James Lipton just for you, Kevin. The questions, the you. questions. That's how much so question. That my uh, is that like my two dope podcast informal homework? Is yes, yes. Cool. Go go watch uh, the Inside the Actor Studio, James Lipton. All right, I got. You. And, and in particular, his Kevin, you make his, fun of me. You like you are his always ten clowning questions. My- <laughs> You're like clowning my interests like all the time, and you're busting out like inside the actor's studio. Like, what's funnier? That's Lincoln? the only inside thing I know the is the studio and Kevin's love of it, or my love of Lincoln Park. Which is- I, I don't even love. <laughs> oh, I love. Park. As a matter of fact, I saw Lincoln Park in the summer of 2000 in Denver at the old uh, Mile High Stadium. Where the oh wow, man, I that's big. To that that's that was probably a big Lincoln one. Park. Lincoln Park was lit, man. They were that was great. probably a big one. That was probably great fun. Job. Great job. That, right, was a concert called Ozfest. Yeah, they were good. Yes, Ozfest. Yes. Kevin, I don't know if you know this. Kevin's a fish head. Um, so <laughs> stop Kevin, outing me. Kevin stop stop outing me. My bad. My bad. My bad. Um, that wasn't you passed out on my lawn. No, I was playing. Yeah. <laughs> I've never, <laughs> I've never been passed out on, on your lawn. On my lawn. Maybe right. other people's lawns. The question. <laughs> It's a question. Boy. Here it is. Here's the biggest, uh, our tradition at the two dope teachers. That's right. And a bike question that we ask all of our guests and, and, and we can, and you can play with it. You make it what you need, but it's a really important question. It's the only one that I take notes on. That's right. That's right. But it's, I'll sum it up first and then just give you some guidelines. And you can go where you want with it. But our question is who are your top five favorite rappers uh and and some people say does it have to be of all time no it doesn't what if i don't like rap music you could use performance artists whatever groups no no what whatever you want you can't be a good teacher but i mean still you could go in a different direction (laughs) (laughs) but but no and and then some people are like well what what if i what if I don't want to put them all in this exact order? I don't want to be held to it forever. I don't want to have my friends at the barbershop clown me when they find out about the list. Right. So, so it doesn't, it can be <laughs> higher. that are kind of like, I'm not going to really say it. Cause they're like, this is controversial, controversial, <laughs> but so you can have it be your top five, one through five. You could say, these are just like five that I really love and care about that bring me joy. You could say, you know, uh, I have three number threes. I have two number fives. These are my three number ones. You can do whatever That's, you want. So you can, is, that, we refer to that as the Eric Hale rule. Um, we're fairly yeah. certain Eric got up to 17 rappers into his top five. Yes. Dang. And he had alternative lists for different moods. Yeah, so, yeah. He had a multi- so I think you list. get the gist of it. Yeah. I think I you get ne- the gist of it. I don't necessarily have a top five, but I'll just name five artists that I enjoy listening All to. Because, right. you know, like you said, I was I was born in 82, so I was a 90s baby. So, yes, well, uh, you know, I love Tupac. I love Biggie. I love Dre. I love Snoop. And then I'm going to throw a little Latin in that mix. Uh, Pitbull. Oh, uh, we love yes. it. We love it. <laughs> yeah. We love it. And Pitbull is just, he's, uh, before my dad passed, like, Man, we used to love listening to Pitbull. Pitbull is just my wife actually heard him perform live. He just is one of those dudes that just he's just electric. Like his you, energy is just you out. cannot, you do not, you are not standing still if you're listening to Pitbull. Like you, you, it, you, 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 it's, it's it's impossible. He did it's like it with, it just uh, starts to take over, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my god, I'm like at the biggest party ever. Yeah, Pitbull, yeah. Pitbull did a track with Mark Anthony. My wife hasn't spoken to me since. Like, <laughs> like she, she's like, this is, this is all of the male energy I need right now. You can, you know, <laughs> so, I mean, that's how we can tell that we are, uh, we are Latinos of, we're not that far apart in age, but we're far enough in age where your pit bull is my kid frost. That's like, right. Like kid frost is great. And make my daughter listen to kid frost like all the time. She's like that. I get it. Yes. A Chicano rapper. Yes. I get it. No, no, um, you so don't get, do you, do you get it? Pac, <laughs> Biggie, Dre, Snoop and, and Pitbull. And Pitbull. Um, I love it. Yeah. I love no, it. I like it. I like it. So the, the Pac, the Pac thing is really interesting to me because 
I feel like we all entered our POC consciousness at different times. What, what POC track best represents your consciousness when you discovered him? Your mama. Because okay. when I was growing up. That's another uh, way we're different. For, for me, it was yeah. hit him up. <laughs> because when I, yeah. <laughs> because when I was, uh, dear mama, because when I was growing up, like, my mom and dad unfortunately got divorced and my dad was a pipe fitter for like 40 years he had to work a lot in the south he spent a lot of his time like specifically in places like texas mississippi arkansas yeah and he was out of my life me and i have five brothers so there's my mom kind of raised six boys for a good maybe 10 years of my life so every time i hear dear mama i get emotional because man it's just i just seeing so much work i have to put in with my daughter natalia who i love to death it is a lot of work being a shout out Natalia. Yeah, she was able to do that with six boys that turned into amazing men that are doing great things today. It's awesome. I mean, yeah, dear mama, for sure. Right. That, that's that's my jam. Yeah, it's a classic. I have anger issues, so it's hit him up for me. Um, <laughs> wow. I also, I also wow. like changes. Like, I also like changes. Changes is pretty dope. Like, that's good. That's it. Yeah, I worry, worry about you if you like it. Hit them up all the time. Man, hit you up. know, but you, man, Kevin, you know, you know, you know, I get to feel some type of way times. Well, listen, Lee Perez, we, this has been such a blast just like chopping it up with you. Uh, yeah, our, sure. Got our brother from another time zone, which is, yeah. that's it. The beautiful thing. So, want to welcome you to to uh, citizenship of Two Dope Nation. Uh, this this was a this was a banger. This was a heater for real. Um, so, we, what we like to do is we like to close things off. I'll ramble a little bit, um, and we all try to say stay dope together. That always that that's always dependent on like internet connections and all that kind of stuff. But we're gonna give it a try. So, for Kevin Adams the greatest of the greatest of all time. The man, the myth, the legend, alive, out here in his DCTA t-shirt. I am Mark Munoz. I will always be your 2021 Colorado Teacher of the Year. Um, I want to wish you coolness. It's 93 degrees right now in Denver, Colorado, and um, I'm over it. Uh, we want to we wanna wish you uh, good summer vibes, some, some tracks from Pitbull that make you, that make you just want to have a party by yourself. We, we ask that you stay resting, stay chilling, stay focused on what matters, stay loving on your family, and above all and beyond, we demand that you stay, stay, Joe, go! Go! Oh, yeah, there we go.